listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon preached by Reverend Marvin Lindsay titled, Who You Gonna Believe? Me or Your Lying Eyes? It's about the story of Jesus healing a man born blind and the controversy that ensues from that healing as recorded in John chapter 9. We hope you'll enjoy it. I've had visual aids for the last three children's sermons and I was starting to feel sorry for you, so I thought that you were entitled to a visual aid as well. So this is the visual aid for this Sunday. I'll show it to the choir in just a second. This is a a t-shirt that I have. It's a map of the state of Missouri in kind of a psychedelic style with a, can you tell what that shadow is in the southeast corner where the, the boot heel is? It's Bigfoot. Okay. It's Bigfoot. So here it is. Uh, there is a story behind this t-shirt. It's a funny story, but it's, it's one of those you had to be there uh, stories, and so I'm not going to get into that. But I will tell you about a day that I wore this down to uh, the nursery. We wanted to buy some shrubs and some wildflowers, and the manager of the nursery took a look at that t-shirt that I was wearing, and he was like, yeah, so tell me about Bigfoot. And I was like, well, I can't really tell you about Bigfoot. It's just a, it's just a t-shirt that I have. And he says, I know a guy whose spirit animal is a Siberian Husky, and they discovered a portal just off the Highway 54 outside of Holt Summit, and that's where the Sasquatches enter this dimension and go back into their own dimension. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Dude. Uh, I liked it in the old days when conspiracy theories were harmless you know, and fun. I mean... It, I want to believe in Bigfoot, and I think if I did believe in him, I don't think it would hurt anybody. And, you know, flat earthers, if they want to walk to the edge of the earth and see, you know, how deep, you know, it is, I mean, they're not going to get hurt either. They're just going to get tired. They're just going to keep walking and walking and walking and wonder why they they keep missing. They seem to be walking around in circles. You are. (laughs) You are walking in circles. But these days... Uh, conspiratorial thinking, well, it just seems a little bit more hardened and a little bit more dangerous. In fact, it seems like a lot of people's thinking these days has taken a darker turn. Have you ever had this uh, experience before? The, the facts are incontrovertible. You lay them out with unassailable logic, and the person that you're talking to just doesn't want to listen to you, just doesn't want to believe you, just not having anything to do with what you are arguing. Has that ever happened to you before? You deserve it, uh, because, you know, you're just as hard-headed as they are, and they've been trying to talk to you, and they've been trying to lay out the facts to you with the incontrovertible logic, and, you know, you're not having it either. Uh, we're all kind of locked in and locked down in preconceived ways of thinking, and it seems to be getting harder and harder to have communications. Well, the gospel lesson is about that situation. It's about people who can't be bothered by the facts. And the sermon about the gospel lesson is going to be a little bit about why this condition is universal and what the solution to this dilemma might be. Now, at the beginning of the story, the disciples and Jesus encounter a man who has been blind since the day that he was born. And the disciples want to know who's to blame for this situation, the blind man or his parents, who sinned. In this situation. And it seems like a heartless question, not to mention a dumb question. I mean, what kind of in utero transgression could you possibly be guilty of that would merit being uh, granted blindness for life? 
Well, understand that the disciples are trying to make sense of this situation through their pre-existing theological framework. Okay? And their framework was this. In the Ten Commandments, we and the Israelite people of old were warned that God is not a God to be trifled with. For if you disobey, then the consequences of that disobedience might be passed down from generation to generation. But then later on, God spoke a new word through the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel told the Israelite people that everyone will stand or fall based on their own merits and on their own conduct. Not based on what your parents did or what awful family secrets you inherited. And so that's the framework that they are working with. They're trying to understand the situation based on who sent this person or the ancestors. And Jesus rejects the framework altogether. Jesus says sin has nothing to do with this. And that's good news. Jesus is not blaming anyone for a situation that is beyond this person's control. On the other hand, the reason that he offers in most translations of John chapter 9 is, I think, equally disturbing. It's printed here in the New Revised Standard Version in your bulletin. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now that makes God sound like God blinded the man in the womb so that decades later Jesus could come along and do a miracle with him. I mean, that's, that's kind of like saying that God is the arsonist who is also a, a volunteer firefighter. Is, is that what we want to say about the nature and character of God? Uh, most translations are, are like the New Revised Standard Version, but I stumbled, I was doing some research this week on this passage, and I stumbled over this alternative translation by a New Testament scholar named Barrier. Uh, and it was published in a journal. And he does something different with it. Listen to where, and notice where he puts the period. And notice what's not missing in this translation. Neither this man nor his parents sinned so that he was born blind. Period. But in order that the works of God might be made manifest in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while this day. Night is coming when no one can work. So in that earlier translation, there's two instances that he was born blind. But in fact, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, the second one is missing. And so Fourier puts the period at the end of that brief sentence. Nobody sinned. This isn't an issue of sin. What this means is that the man's disability is a complete mystery that Jesus does not reveal to the disciples. He tells them what is not the reason why he is visually impaired, but he doesn't tell them what the reason is. But then he gets on about the business of addressing the disability. And I think that that's an important lesson for us. In this life, there are more than a few annoying and frustrating mysteries. There are more than a few absurdities that we have to deal with. There are more than a few unfair situations that we encounter, and we don't know what's going on. And I think sometimes conspiracy theories arise by trying to map a neat and orderly explanation onto what is a dark abyss. 
We try to explain things for which there is simply no good explanation. Maybe a better way is just to admit to ourselves, we don't know why we're in this situation. We don't know why this happened. I don't know is a perfectly good answer if you don't know. I don't know. But then go on from there to do something good and to do something good with urgency. And I think urgency is what sets Jesus apart from the Pharisees as the story continues. Now, I'll tell, tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. They were a class of pious Jewish laymen, and they sought to apply the sacred laws and commandments of Scripture to all aspects of daily living. And one of those commandments was to abstain from work on the seventh day of the week, which is known as the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was for worship and it was for rest. And from verse 16, we know that Jesus and the disciples have encountered this man on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, we can expect, will object to Jesus going to work. That is, to Jesus healing the man born blind on this day of rest and worship. Now, this too sounds heartless and cruel to us, uh, but just think about it. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. I'm going to play Pharisee's advocate for a minute. This guy had been blind his whole life. Would it have killed him to wait one more day? Would it? I mean, the Pharisees, for the most part, did make some exceptions to uh, abstention from work on the Sabbath. They made an exception for life-saving work. But Jesus' intervention in this man's life is what we might call an elective procedure. And you know, in that respect, the Pharisees aren't any different than our modern healthcare system. If we're talking about disabilities, show up at the hospital on a Saturday morning and ask for a knee replacement or for cataract surgery. They will say, go home. We'll, you got a gunshot wound? Yes. You got a heart attack? Yes. If you want a hip replaced, we'll see you in three months on a Monday. Okay? So the Pharisees aren't the kind of mustache-twirling you know, villains that we always think they are. Um, they're kind of just the way the world is, okay? Just kind of the way the world is. But Jesus isn't okay with the way that the world is. He is hot to do something about this man's situation. Now, while it is still daylight, even though it is a Sabbath day, Jesus is not going to wait to do something about this man's situation. And his urgency precipitates a crisis of faith for all the onlookers in the story. He heals on the Sabbath, and they just don't know what to do about this. This crisis of faith, psychologists call it cognitive dissonance. That's when you have an experience of two things that shouldn't be true at the same time, but both seem to be true at the same time. You are encountered with a contradiction, and you can't explain it and figure out what's going on. Here's the contradiction as the crowd and as the Pharisees experience it. Number one, good people can work miracles. Number two, good people rest from work on the Sabbath. Number three, Jesus worked a miracle on the Sabbath. That three is not supposed to follow from one and from two, and yet it appears as though it has. Now, cognitive dissonance isn't always bad, although it is always uncomfortable. 
When we are encountered with new information that contradicts our preconceived notions, that can be an opportunity for us to learn and to grow and to change. The Pharisees and the crowd had an opportunity to expand their understanding of what it means to be a lifesaver on the Sabbath. What kind of work is prohibited and what kind of work is allowed on the Sabbath. But here, the crowd and the Pharisees deal with the discomfort by rejecting the facts, by rejecting the logic, and by doing away with the thing that makes them feel uncomfortable. First, they question whether this person who's been healed is in fact the person that we all knew yesterday was blind. That's not him. That's just somebody who looks like him. Yes. Is that his twin brother? That can't be him, right? I mean, that can't be him. And then the man says, it's me. (laughs) I am the man. And they're still like, no, I just, I mean, it can't be. No, no. So they go to his parents. Like, this guy wasn't blind from birth, was he? Like, there's some logical explanation here. And the parents, yeah, he was blind from birth. They don't want to go any further than that because they know what happens when you cross some people with facts. (laughs) But they do acknowledge the fact that this is their son and that he's been blind his whole life. And when that fails, then the Pharisees demand that the formerly blind man repeat the old orthodoxy, despite the new evidence. He's a sinner, saved. Only sinners do work on the Sabbath. And the man says, I don't know about that. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see Since they can't bully the formerly blind man into saying what they want him to say, they close ranks against both him and the man who's responsible for this situation. You aren't one of us. You are one of him. You're a sinner through and through. You've been a sinner from the very beginning. Who are you to tell us what the truth is? And they drive him away. Now, these Pharisees look hard-hearted at best. And at worst, they look like judges in a show trial in some totalitarian dictatorship. But their behavior is more or less universal. None of us want to deal with facts that contradict our received wisdom and experience and beliefs. Let me tell you about this interesting study that researchers at Emory University did once. They took the subjects and they put them into two different groups. They had a Republican group over here, and they had a Democratic group over here. And they made each group watch videos of leading politicians who reversed themselves on a matter of public policy. And when people watched their preferred politician reverse themselves, they characterized that as smart, pragmatic thinking. And when they watched somebody from the other side of the aisle reverse themselves, they characterized that as spineless flip-flopping. Now, here's the thing. They had these subjects, everybody did this, by the way. Uh, They had these subjects hooked up to brain monitors while they were running these experiments. And what the brain monitors revealed was that there was no increased activity in the reasoning portion of your brain when they were trying to figure out 
what was going on here. But when they saw their favorite politicians reversing themselves, they saw increased activity in that part of your brain that's responsible for the processing of pain. It literally hurts to see someone say something that you don't want to hear them say. But then they went on. Uh, they adjusted themselves, they did some mental gymnastics, and what they discovered also is that once they did the little mental gymnastics, the brain released a little bit of dopamine, which is a brain chemical that literally makes you feel good. In other words, it literally hurts to change your mind, and it literally feels good to tell lies to yourself. Now, our Presbyterian faith statements say that one of the characteristics of living in a fallen world is that human beings accept lies as truth. We accept lies as truth. We seem hardwired to do that, at least according to the Emory researchers. And on this count, neuroscience, well, it doesn't really prove theology, but neuroscience and theology kind of rhyme here. The man's congenital blindness can't be blamed on his parents' sins. But there is another kind of blindness that seems to encompass us all and transcends the generations. Something in us wants to be lied to. And I think the most pleasant lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. Here's a few. I don't need to change my mind. I don't need to change my behavior. I'm fine just the way I am. Of all the conspiracy theories out there, this conspiracy that we enter into with ourselves is perhaps the most dangerous of all. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He came to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. But just as bright light is painful to eyes that are accustomed to the dark, so too the coming of Jesus Christ into our lives is a painful experience. Because a reckoning with the truth is always painful for people who love to accept lies as truth. May we in this Lenten season, as we contemplate what it means to turn from sin, may we not flinch from that pain. Because that pain exists in order to set us free. Let us neither explain away mysteries too easily or justify ourselves in our own thinking too glibly. Let us live with the uncomfortable truth who is Jesus Christ. The uncomfortable truth that real, makes us realize that there are just some things that don't make sense. Not the least of which is our own distorted thinking. Let's live with that truth, and the truth will set us free. In the name of the one who is, and who was, and who is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.